Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And I like you a lot. You seem like a very nice person. It's <laughs> the most asinine argument of all time. Okay? The most asinine argument. Yep, made it with some spinach, some fruit, some protein, some nuts. You know, I didn't quite get around to that. I'm penciling that in for if I get home before I pick up my daughter and take her to tennis. Uh, We like our podcast guests unshaven. It keeps it real. I figured that you know we could we probably survive. You'd be you'd be okay with that. Well, I'm gonna take. We're gonna do a photo shoot after this before you leave. So now you're really better, even better. Keep it rough and tumble. We interviewed Billy Jean King on Friday. Wow, yeah, Mary Carillo. Mary Carillo, my personal hero. I'm a journalist, so me, Mary Carillo. Yeah, that's big time. Yeah. Kim Kloster's made us cry. Kim sure. Kloster's was talked so much. We had an episode one and two. Yeah. We're How about Billie Jean? Well, I also we cried. would have talked for three days with Billie, but right. she had to go. She had to go, right. Yeah. So was Alana here? Alana was out at a meeting. Oh, okay. So, right. um, But yeah. she had specifically left a post-it note on the table to say, cut off at 11.45. Mm-hmm. I saw right. the post-it note. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was pretty stressed. Yeah. So yeah. we were a bit stressed uh, okay. getting everything yeah. in because you know Billy likes to talk, which Billy we love. Billy can go on and on. Yeah. But I did cry a little bit and Renee did not give me as much shit as she could have because I... Well, because we were under the gun. Uh, well, also, unlike both of you, did not play pro tennis. I played D1 college tennis and oh, it was very... As did Patrick. Yeah. Where'd you play? University of Missouri. Oh, okay. You played at I played Stanford. Stanford. Yeah. yeah, I've heard of it. Congratulations yeah. on the they Women's National yeah, Championship. Again. I, watched, I watched the final few matches yeah i was one of the voters this year so i got to vote on who was ranked what um for ncaa's yeah really you mean for the team for the seating or for the individual the team seating team team rankings yeah and stanford came out on top i thought they were going to lose to georgia in the final but they had a great last match listen i don't know much about it other than i i root (laughs) for the cardinal the cardinal yeah Yeah. well college tennis you know obviously for me was extremely meaningful and i think for a lot of people i assume who come through you you know who whose path you intersect with absolutely juniors for parents right parents. now for the you know, go to college is probably their biggest goal and I think that's yeah. a good place to start just given how much you have personally been involved in not only playing broadcasting commentating but also as the owner as the f- runner as a former USTA leader getting uh, our juniors God, been man, that's so, a lot of things that's a lot of jobs. things yeah. uh, getting our juniors sort of positioned for the the best success let's start there like what's sort of been your philosophy how do, how do you how do you well um, think about that now you know it's i think about it from a lot of different levels because uh 
when I worked for the USTA, you were sort of looking for players that you at least thought could be professionals. I mean, that was sort of the mission statement. So obviously running into a lot of parents at national tournaments, et cetera, you know, most of those parents, um, I think, understand that it's unlikely their kid's going to be a, a professional player. So they talk a lot about college. Mm-hmm. So that sort of got me, uh, you know, thinking more about how the system is set up to help kids you know, get to college and play in college. So there's always been controversy even in the in the men's. I was reading somewhere the men's team final mm-hmm. of the 12 singles players playing for the two schools. There was one American mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. out of the 12 singles yep. players. So that's always been uh, controversial, yeah. especially when I was there. It, there seemed to be a lot more controversy when I was running player development. <laughs> there is now because now all these things are still happening, but I don't hear anybody taking any shit for it the way I did. Um, but I took that as a badge of honor because I felt that, uh, you know, my my role at the time was to at least try to shake things up a little yeah. bit and make some make some changes to help uh, sort of our pipeline. Because yeah. obviously our goal was not to Getting kids in college is is a goal for the parent, which it should be. But the goal for USTA player development is getting players into the top hundred. You know, yeah. the men's and women's games. So the so the goals are a little bit different. Uh, that being said, obviously most of the players that came through the program or you know went to went to play in college. Uh, yeah. But I feel pretty good about the fact that we put some changes in place in regards to how we coach kids. I think and how we train kids, maybe more importantly. So uh, when you see you know, Tiafo and Fritz and uh, Riley Opelka and, you know, kids like that that are, you know, at least on at least to me, they're they're succeeding as professional players. Yep. Now, whether they become, you know, Grand Slam champions, I think, is another issue. And to me, that's I'm not sure any uh, governing body can affect that. Yeah, that's uh, a tough that's a tough that's order. a tough one. But, but at least but top a, 50 players. Yeah, I think to me, that's the goal. Careers. Yeah, we always said our goal was to get as many players in the top 100 as we as we could. Yeah. On the women's side, we were always very lucky yeah. as a country. And I think we still are because we have uh, better athletes generally playing tennis yeah. that are young girls rather than young boys. Do you see that because uh, of? The fact that tennis is such a big sport for women. I mean, it is really the think most it's, you know, recognizable yeah. global money-making I thing think for money-making, I think you just hit the nail on the head, Renee. I think the fact that if you're, a young, if you're a parent and you have a young kid who's, you know, six, seven, eight years old, and you can tell that you're, you know, you can usually tell if your kid is pretty athletic. Um, you know, tennis is one of the very few sports as a female you yeah. can make a lot of money. I mean, obviously you could go play and in the in the olympics and basketball and volleyball you know these great sports that are obviously a way to get into college as well but you can't really make a you know a huge living doing those sports maybe golf would be the other one as a as a female you can make a lot of money obviously gymnasts can go to uh, the Olympics and then become professional. Yeah, but as but a sustainable a career. A sustainable career. And something we, similar exactly. to male professional athletes. So I always felt like when we were working with the program in the player development that uh, the women's side was not as difficult mm-hmm. because we had just better athletes playing. I mean, when I first went to the USTA, uh, our training center at the time was in Boca, with, uh, where we shared it with the Everett Academy. You know, Madison Keys was there. Sloan Stevens was mm-hmm. there. Um, shout out to Chrissy. And shout out to Chrissy for her the work they did with Madison Keys. So there were, <clears throat> you know, a lot, just a lot more numbers generally, a lot more bet, you know, like better a lot more to work with. More to work with, I think. And I so, I think it was always going to be more difficult uh, to me on the men's side because the men's side you're dealing with uh, the 
the top athletes from other countries, generally yeah. speaking. In America, I remember calling uh, my head of men's coaching at the time one year. It was Jay Berger, whose mm-hmm. son is now a great professional golfer. Uh, and Jay was uh, worked with me in Davis Cup for many years, and so he was running the uh, men's tennis and you know junior tennis at the time. And one summer I called him, and I he was at the nationals, uh, the boys' twelves nationals. Oh wow, twelves and fourteens, yeah. I think it was. And uh, I said, well, you know, Jay, how's it going? You know, what do you see? He goes, well, I see a lot of parents with Rolexes. Uh huh. And so to <laughs> me, it was you know if if you went you know if you went to a national tournament in the 12s or the 14s and you went to a, the girls tournament you would see a lot more diversity yeah. Yeah. you would see a lot more african americans you see a lot more asians uh you'd see indian you know you'd see white kids you'd see all different backgrounds and when you went to a boys you it was only s- the rich kids basically you yeah. know maybe I mean, not sure only but yeah, yeah obviously i'm yeah. obviously generalizing sure. to some extent but i think that was that's sort of how it felt a little mm-hmm. bit like you can get really good at tennis as a young kid, uh, if you are reasonably athletic, mm-hmm. you take a lot of, you know, hit a lot of balls. You know, sure. Whether you hit against a wall or you hit with a coach or you play a lot, you can get pretty good. Uh, but whether or not you can become a pro yeah. is a whole nother deal. You sort of need, you need all that too at a young <laughs> age, but then you also need the athleticism and yeah. the physical ability, yeah. um, which we were seeing a lot more with the types of athletes that were uh, coming to the to uh, girls' tennis. I think it's so interesting because when you look at Francis, for example, I think he's a perfect example of someone that, given him not living literally at the tennis courts and his dad doing what he was doing in Washington, he probably would not have ever been exposed to tennis, for example, mm. and he probably would have gone into soccer or football. I mean, because this... Francis would have been a great athlete no matter what sport he chose. I mean, he's just a specimen, right? Right. Um, but it was tennis. He was exposed to tennis from a really young age, and so tennis is what he got into. He, his strokes are not, I mean, anything. You They're, would not not the They're not textbook. They're not textbook. The yeah, forehand yeah. you would never teach. The right. serve you would probably not really teach. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is a kid that you would look at maybe at 13 or 14 and be like, no chance. But then you go, wait a second, no, he's the perfect kid that you should be looking at because of the athleticism and because right. of his and, and his willingness. He's not entitled. Dad didn't have a Rolex. Yeah. You know, so those are the kids that you need to tap into. But how do you do that? How do you pull them away from basketball? And I mean, Kamal Murray, for example, has started this, you know, amazing right. tennis facility in the south side of Chicago. You know, and you're trying to get young black and brown kids to play tennis. And I mean, I think on the women's side as well, I mean Venus and Serena can take certainly a bow. Because they're going to bring the Madison Keys to Sloane Stevens and show them that there's that path. Plus, women's tennis is so popular. But yeah. with the men, they need that. They need the Francis could really change the sport in some way, at least maybe in this country as a well, model. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think he's he's a great kid. I've known him since he was a teenager, seeing him uh, progress. So he's he's got a joy about him and a passion for the game, yeah. which I think is the really probably the most important thing. And watching now working with kids in, in our academy and just you know seeing them day after day. So we, we also have a, a, a scholarship program of, you know, for kids that are from the, in, from the inner city that get exposed to tennis. And then uh, it's one thing to get exposed to tennis <clears throat> and, and, and show an interest and a proclivity to be decent at it. But then to actually get really good at it takes an extraordinary amount of time and effort, yeah. you know, from everybody involved, and, and obviously including the kid and the yeah. and the parent, parents or parent, depending on the situation. So for Francis, uh, you know, I look at him and I see someone who who really loves tennis, loves to be out there. Uh, as Renee says, rightly so. I mean, he's got a physique that uh, 
if you had probably just picked him off the uh, playground, you know, he would have been a center fielder Plunked or something. Him in any sport. Yeah, you or, you know, yeah. or defensive back in, in football, which, are, you know, those guys got to be incredible athletes. Yeah, so totally. we're lucky we got him in tennis as, and lucky as it as it, it, it turned out that his dad was at that uh, junior uh, at College Park, the junior champions uh, center there. And uh, he developed well, but he was, again, you know, they developed him. But when we were with the USTA, you know, he was certainly one of our top kids. So yeah. we, we tried, we, I think, making the overall program better, getting more training out there, working with some of those private academies is something we, we really tried to do. Let's double down on that just yeah. because, you know, right now you refer to the academy. You're talking about the McEnroe Academy, right. which is part of the sport time sort of it's club. It's the John McEnroe mm-hmm. Academy, and I can tell you I'm going to say Patrick does a lot of work. <laughs> okay. I'm calling okay. it so the, Patrick, the, right. the McEnroe Academy. She's, she's I'm just seeing doing, the future. I'm know? just saying that, you know, right. for, for, from my standpoint. At a beautiful d- facility uh, here in New York on Randall's Island. Right. You and I, you and I have is, hit there. Yeah. I hit there all the time. I play USD matches out there. It's a great facility, Clay and Hard. I saw Venus there. There a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Serena was there just right before she went to Rome. She was go. there for a couple days. Yeah. Beautiful place. Yeah. Tell me, you know, just because at one point you and her brother were coaching on opposite sides of the fence, him yep. at the private academy and you running USDA, right. player development. Now that you're both at the private side of things, you know, you mentioned scholarships, you mentioned some of the systemic stuff. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you can do now that you couldn't do when you were running USDA? Well, I, I mean, for me personally, it's uh, very fulfilling because I can really get involved with the kids mm-hmm. and the parents and the coaches, you know, I was, uh, and actually be on the court. You know, most of my time there is actually spent on the court, which at the USDA, I rarely did that. You yeah. know, my job was mostly administrative and political and sort of overseeing the whole program. So this, that part of it, I really enjoy, you know, actually trying, literally working mm-hmm. with kids and being on the court. Uh, helping run the group programs for the uh, for the for the coaches and for the after school kids. So that's the, really the the meat of the of the academy is the kids that come after school. Now we do have a small homeschool program. John's sort of philosophically been against that, you mm-hmm. know, his in his life. But you know, the the times have changed. The world has changed, and uh, you know, kids are just playing more, and kids are are are, are doing more to get to this level. So yeah. we fight. We don't. I wouldn't say we fight about it, but we disagree still quite a bit on how to mm-hmm. um, produce players. Healthy yeah, healthy. It is actually, yeah. and we're actually getting along great. We we That's enjoy good. it. Yeah. Um, I enjoy that part of it, and and now, you know, I, I'm not going to say I'm totally coming around to his side. But I'm starting to see the method to his madness a little more. <laughs> After you know. all these years. Yeah, I'm starting to see that, you know, he maybe gets it a little more than I thought when it comes to, uh, you know, just getting kids to actually play tennis as yeah. opposed to doing drills and, you know, technique and all that, which I still think is probably more important than it's ever been because the bar has just been raised by all these players that their technique is great. And their athleticism is great yeah. and their ability to actually play the game. So we're kind of talking about the balance between sort of the like innate match readiness or competitiveness Correct. as opposed to like, you know, yeah, like John would say, like, you know, it's stupid to do a cross court drill. Like, uh-huh. Why would you ever do that? Mm-hmm. You would never do that in a match. You know, right. So, you know, meanwhile, Bjorn Borg and Guillermo Vilas, you know, these probably, is, did, probably it did it for six hours. hours. Probably in mostly right. what they did. Yeah. So we, we <laughs> and Rafael Nadal and, you know, Joke, yeah. all these guys. So we, uh, we sort of go back and forth. But I think there's a, there's a balance. Yeah. Uh, obviously running in a, in a, at a private academy, which has got a for-profit side. And then we've got a 
you know, a, a scholarship side. So kind of finding the balance between those things is, is not easy either uh, because the club has to stay in business yeah, and sure. the club has to run um, and get, get people to pay to come, which many people do, and pay a lot of money to come. So right. obviously tennis well, is, is expensive. It is New York, and uh, you're dealing with uh, that, that market. So it's sort of a unique market when it comes to tennis. I mean, pers- speaking personally, what I love so much about living in New York and playing, I mean, you grew up here, you grew up in Queens. Playing here now is not easy. It's very, very difficult. I don't know. I wandered onto the West Side uh, Highway courts yesterday <laughs> yeah. at four o'clock. I played twice on FDR. Wow, that's pretty yeah. good. No, yeah. but I mean, just in terms well, you of know, like, I don't have a real job, so I, I understand. You, know, you the, have a little more you know, flexibility. The post right. five p.m. times a little bit. Yeah. But it's a little yeah. different, but yeah. generally, space is at a premium. It's and expensive. my guess is you're not up like at seven in the morning. Nah, when I, yeah, you usually sleep really. in a little bit. You know, yeah. unless I got to change the car from you know, I've tried to get her up and at him. Yeah, yeah. Caitlin always is trying to get me to hit at like eight. And I'm like, dude. And no. then, you know, and then, it's you know, for me. I've got Kirsten Gillibrand, who, you know, yes. I'm friends with. She, friend. She's she a w- nice tennis player, too. She's a very good tennis yeah. player. She's like, hey, do you want to hit at seven? I'm like, D- is that a question or is right. that, is the that, answer would saying, be, please this literally there. happened the other day. She's like, do right. you want, do you want to come and work out at 645 at the gym? And I said, I looked at her like with this face and she goes, or drinks on Saturday night. I go, yeah, second option, please. Yeah, that'd be much better. You know, most tennis players don't usually do a lot before nine. I mean, other than you, but I you remem- have kids. I remember know? going to uh, Spain when my first tournaments I played in Madrid, and uh, I remember getting there, and I was all gung ho. You know, it's going to play, and this was uh, it was a smaller tournament at that time. It wasn't like the Madrid Open, and so I went to all the guys. You know, I was the only American there. All the Spanish Shock. guys and the European <laughs> guys. I said, "Hey, anyone want to? You know, can we practice? Anyone want to practice tomorrow?" Because I was still on like jet like I mean you know, like nine or ten they looked at me like I was what are you what are you crazy There's, nobody's gonna be there before 12 <laughs> you know so I feel I, so I slowly got used into that European you know mentality. Spanish mentality we, we practice from about 12 one o'clock on because we're not going to bed till about three so yeah. you're saying yeah. you want to get Nadal if you get yeah. him, you want to get, get him in early. first match at yeah, 11 get him early. you might have a chance to win right. at least one at least set. a couple games maybe actually yeah. you know yeah. I, I want to talk about that with you because um what's your thought process on I mean, we're totally tangenting off what we were talking about, but five-set men's tennis in Grand Slams. I'm a little torn by that because I do, uh, you know, I, I like I like um, the epic matches that have been five-setters, but, I mean, there's also been epic matches that are two out of three. Um, I do think that when the rules of tennis were made that somebody was smart enough to think that best of five, you know, tennis is a game of skill, number one. Mm-hmm. Skill is the most important aspect of tennis, okay? Um, you could be the fittest person on the planet, but if you can't time the ball, you have, yeah. you have no chance. Of course. So, um, but I do think that fitness is a part of it as well, and I think that going five sets is, is a little more of a challenge in that respect than two out of three. Now, that being said, you know, the Olympics, for example, was two out of three, and there were some of the great matches of yeah. all time in yeah. the Olympics. And I did not, uh, my daughter, who's a reasonable junior tennis player who just turned 13, at one point said to me in the last, you know, 18 months, Dad, how come men play best of five and women play best of three? Now, what would my answer be to that? There's no answer. I mean, it's like because that's the way it's always been. Tradition is not a great answer. It's not very satisfying to a 12-year-old. No, it's not very satisfying to me, in fact. So to me, it's like, 
I guess because, you know, when they made the rules, women were weaker, or, you yeah. know, they, th- they, they thought. So. I mean, that's basically why. Our uteruses yeah. would yeah. fall out. Yeah, something yeah. they couldn't handle. <laughs> you know? I don't want seven matches of. <laughs> right. I don't want a seven hour Wozniacki Hallop Grand Slam. That final. you don't need to I say. I mean, come on, yeah. three and a half right. hours of the women's it's plenty. Grand Slam. So, final? I mean, I think, I think if we could. I think if we me. could all start from scratch, um, I think two out of three would be the best way to go. Two out of three. I'm bad. not sure that's going to happen. Song. Yeah, meatloaf. Mm. One of my dad's <laughs> favorites. There you go. Um, God, we got a meatloaf reference in here. Yeah, so I think that two out of three would be great. I don't see it happening yeah. because I think that the, the grand slabs would just say, you know, this isn't going to happen. So, yeah. uh, But I do think that uh, best of five is not – is not. Th- if you play best two out of three, the better player is going to win – you know, ninety four percent of the time, if his best of five is at ninety four point five percent. I mean, somebody tell or me the math. Maybe it's the worst yeah. player who's more fit. I mean, I'm sure that. That's, well, I used to love make... playing best of five because I felt like I could beat better players because I was fitter. Yeah, right. So I would look forward, like at my level, I was like a decent player, but I always felt I would I could do better in grand slams because yeah. I was fitter. Renee has a very similar thought process when we talk about coaching on court coaching, right. which is just she felt like, and I totally agree with her, even though I'm kind of pro on court coaching because I think it's a better experience for the fan. But I think her point was like, well, I'm mentally fitter, so if I well, can I think no, my no, way no, out no, of a time problem, out, time out. There's no chance in God's given earth that <laughs> I am mentally fitter than anyone. I was mentally smarter than, like tactically sure. smarter than a lot of players. So you sort of took mm. by by allowing a coach to come down and and talk to a really dumb player, and there's a lot of really dumb players that hit the ball right. exceptionally well. I mean, Mary Pierce once said to me on double score, okay, Stubbsy, tell me what to do because uh-huh. I'm the dumbest, right. best player you've ever played with. Literally, right. yeah. verbatim. You know, because she, you gave her a game plan and she could, mm-hmm. you know, execute, execute it. it so beautifully. But she might not come but she that wasn't on her one, own. Yeah, it was a bit harder for her to work out what to do. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have the strokes of Mary Pierce, but I actually had a decent mind for tennis. So you took away a strength for me by bringing a coach down to be able to tell a player. So originally that's why I didn't like it. Now working in TV... We love it because we, we can hear what's going on. Right. So I'm. I think now it's time to just throw the spanner in the works and let's have mm-hmm. on-court coaching at all times. Um, you know, what I the reason I brought that up um, to kind of tie together what we were just talking about with five setters back to sort of the conversation we were having before about academies in the USTA, right. which is, you know, you are a very unique person in the sense that you have. I wouldn't say equal accomplishments. I mean, your, your accomplishments on the tennis court are pretty profound, but you have had a ton of experience in the coaching and sort of administrative side, certainly right. the broadcasting and journalistic side, and also the playing side. And so from that perspective, and you're a parent of children who play tennis. Mm-hmm. Girls, so too. Girls, too, which is really not, it's not an insignificant fact mm. because they're the ones who most often bump up against the sort of, I would say, worst parts of our sport, which right. is some of these traditions that are a little hidebound. Right. So I'm curious to see, you know, we can talk about it in a number of different ways. Maybe it's five sets, maybe it's coaching, maybe it's, you know, the way tournaments sort of reward grand slam points as opposed to emphasizing mm-hmm. the day in, day out of the tour. But how much does tradition sort of generally hurt tennis as opposed to help it, do you think? Um, I think it hurts it in getting some of these things changed quickly. I think yeah. things take time uh, for any changes to happen. I do think that... I mean, part of the beauty of Wimbledon is is the tradition of the event and the, you know, the walking out on the court and and all those things that make it unique and make it special. And so certainly, there's an argument that well, best of five is unique to the majors. You know, well, it didn't know it wasn't always unique to the majors. There used to be plenty of tour events that they played best of five in mm-hmm. finals. Yeah. You know, in Basel, Switzerland, I yeah. played the final against Wayne Ferreira. You know, and we played best of five. By the way, Roger Federer was my ball boy for that <laughs> match. Yeah, <laughs> and one amazing. time I was interviewing him after he won Cincinnati, 
and I was do I was doing the courtside for CBS at the time, and so I went to uh, talk to him. You know, uh, the match took like forty nine minutes. The final, <laughs> so I said, Rogers, and we got a little time to kill. Yeah. You know, once we come back from commercials, so you know, I'm probably ask you a few more questions. Oh, no problem. Because oh, you know, he goes, they, oh, you know, I ball boyed for you. No, he literally says to me, we're sitting on the so uh, cool. after he's just he won told the you, title. This yeah. is the first time you went. Yeah, like the first time, like you know, I I, I knew him, but it was like we were just kind of sitting there shooting the breeze for you, you can know, say shooting the shit. Sh- yeah, for ninety seconds, <laughs> and he says, you know, I ball boyed for you. I that's said, cool. no way, because yeah, you were uh, at uh, Basel because he was uh, that's where he was from. Yeah, and I said, oh, you're rooting for me in the final. He goes, no, I wasn't. Because Wayne Ferreira was South African. <laughs> and his mother is yeah. South, African. South African. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he at least had a good reason. But there's reason. actually somebody, when somebody actually sent me years ago, there's actually a shot. A p- picture. A picture of yeah. him, of me, like, walking to the changeover or something, or, or, or serve, and he's he's actually running across, cool. picking up the ball. I'm like, I, gotta, this, I need a still shot. Totally. Of this oh, right my here. God. Yeah. 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 I need that. Yeah. That's so cool. So what was That's the question really cool. again? Tradition. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of, I mean, tradition is are good things. Uh I do like shaking things. As I said, I mean, to me, best of five sets and coaching are just because, because, because that's the way it's always been. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's right. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you also think that, I mean, I, I don't know if this would happen, but if, if you made it best of three in slams, maybe you have the final be best of five or the semis be best yeah, of five. Yeah, maybe the quarter's on you know, or something. You so, could, yeah. Something like yeah. that. But I also think that men, um, I think we might see a few more of them playing doubles if that was the case. I you know? disagree with that. Okay. I don't think they would. Um, uh, I think it would be nice to think that they would, but I think there's too much on the line at the majors mm-hmm. for them to do that. And it's not even physically. It's just there's too much. It's scheduling. Yeah. They're not going to want on their day off, you know, the between the semis and the finals. Come they're going to want to have their routine. Maybe they had a tough three-setter. Yeah. They could have a tough three-set match. It's like a, 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 a t- you know, not as, as tough a four-set match. So I, I don't think that would happen, but I don't think that's the reason why – it should be considered to go to best yeah. two out of three. I just think that mine is entertainment yeah. time. I mean, entertainment I'm a time. Purist. Yeah, exactly. You and yeah. I, uh, and and we sit there in the green room sometimes at Wimbledon, waiting to go and do some work. And 
you know, it's like, oh my God. Sometimes we sit there and we're like, I cannot believe this match is still going. Or yeah. it's like, and, and my biggest problem with it is, um, and I'm going to get so much, I get so much, so many people are so polarized by this, but I've seen top players tank sets. I saw, yeah. I won't yeah, mention yeah, yeah. the name, but I know in a final of a Grand Slam at the French Open, I saw a player tank the fourth set because he got down a break and he just, he didn't even try. He didn't right. try <coughs> to, to, it to win back the fourth set, set yeah. and to just to get it into the fifth set. And for me, that's not what tennis should be about. It should be every single point should matter. Uh, certainly wasn't Rafa because we know that even mm-hmm. if he was down five love, he'd still be trying. But I've seen players tank sense. Uh, he just has, to uh, get by the way, that's not true. He he would he would throw it if he were. I've seen him. I've seen Nadal give points away. But it, I mean, that's my. Po- I have a problem. I don't. With th- that. I don't think that has anything to me. That doesn't. Have, that's not a good enough argument for getting rid of best of five. Because if I win the first set six one, and I'm down, you know, four zero thirty love, I might tank a couple of points to save, you know, for the third set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't. To to me, I don't. But if it was yeah. best of three, you would never do that. Cause I you might. Would, I might do that if I were down five zero. Well, five zero. Maybe. I mean, okay. I I, I, I like know what you're guy. saying, but, but you know what I'm saying. I think it's uh, it, it to me what you said. The entertainment value is more important. The entertainment meaning, it's you know a lot of times you're watching, you know, just Djokovic at the U.S. Open. You know, it's six one six one three zero. Yeah. And you're just like, when this is this should have been over? Yeah. Over. I mean, who, 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 how is this good for anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Where you could bring it, but the problem with tennis is that. You know, we're so sad and like we've got two matches at night. We got a men's and a women's. Oh, we got to have the women first this time or else it's unfair. Oh, we yeah, got to have yeah. the men second. Whatever. Oh, it's too It's not fair for the men. You know, then and during the day, we need three matches on center court. So I think you have to look at like the whole way the scheduling is is put out there mm-hmm. because now in the second week of majors, there's not that much product for the fans. Right. Okay. So that's part of it. The first week, it's, you know, there's so many matches. Yeah. So two out of three, no problem. And the second week, um, you know, if we have a two out of three set match and it's a one night match and people are paying five hundred and twenty five dollars for their seat and it's, you know, six, two, six, one. Yeah. You know, so it's like you it, the whole nature of the maybe they the, would watch the, doubles. Um, probably not. They would probably not watch doubles. I'm getting a distinct anti-doubles vibe. Oh, from I'm you. A, well, an accomplished doubles player. Well, yeah, I was much better in doubles, but people yeah. don't care about doubles. I mean, yeah, do you I think mean, they could. I mean, we saw the final of the mixed doubles at the U.S. Not Open really. last year. Yeah. I mean, I think they could if it was a Williams's and uh, you know Federer, you know, like in yeah. the Labor Cup, we the did Labor that. The Labor Cup was yeah amazing. because it's yeah because it's quick and yeah. it's a, and it's the best players right. playing. Yeah. So now, if to Stubbsy's argument, you know, argument that gets let's get the singles players to play more doubles in the majors. There's only one way that's going to happen. Or there's two ways. Mandatory. Money and points. Yeah. Period. End of story. Yeah. That's the only way. I mean, you're playing for three, three and a half million dollars yeah. in singles, and you're playing for, you know, 250 for the dope, which is good. 300. It's 300. Up to 300. Okay, whatever Patrick. it is, it's good, but it it's doesn't compare to well, what the men's is. And how many people are paying to go see the doubles final? Fans. Well, that, that, that's the other problem. That argument, I feel like, is sort of a circular issue where it's like, well, you know, the men sell more tickets than the women. You're like, well, not always. And also the combined events do better. But more like if you market and you promote and also keeping in mind people more. That's total BS. I think it's totally Mar- true. No. Market and promote. We've been yeah. talking about that for 50 years in I tennis. think more people play doubles. So what? And more people want to watch nobody doubles. Plays, if it's nobody plays football. About- what who, do you mean? Plays, who plays the NFL football? No longer anybody letting their kids. Have okay, but who watches NFL helmet? football? Everybody. Yeah. Well, no. So the idea that people play oh, okay. doubles oh, means I mean, they want to watch doubles yeah. is 
and I like you a lot. You seem like a very nice person. It's the most <laughs> asinine <laughs> argument of all time. Okay? The most hey, that's why we like yeah. you here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it just, just makes absolutely yeah. no sense. Yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, because I would I, love to see it marketed and promoted. And to see, I mean, you, you may, the Brian like brothers you, you are marketed s- and promoted. I mean, they're great for doubles people, well, but people still don't the watch them on TV. Yeah. I mean, if they're playing Nadal and Fetter, people That's, might watch. There you go. Okay. But I do think just, it, I do think it does come down to just visibility though. You know, I mean, it really, it does. So if you put, Ma, if you put uh, Mahout and Ayers Herbert, who's Hughes Herbert, that people, that people care if they're on TV more, nobody cares. No, I think if you put or Mahu put the, with, give me some know, of the doubles, the women, top women's doubles teams. No, no, no. Stubsy. No, give me some of the top women's doubles Yeah, well, that's part of the problem because, well, you know, no, actually, if, so if I will you, say if this is Okay, so if we, she's a nice person. Sure, I've met her. I'm sure. So if we, if we market her, like people are going to care. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about marketing the doubles players. I'm talking about marketing doubles as a viable no, thing to watch. No, 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 you're no. S- just, you're so you're wrong. So you're wasting I'm so time. Right. No, yeah, you're I'm, wasting I'm your just time. Making we need to think of other clear things. The, clear the Coaching, schedule. scheduling, yeah. uh, two out of three. What I about like that Hopman discussion. Cup? What about Labor Cup? I mean, they're great. What about Davis Cup? Labor Cup. Hopman I mean, Cup is no longer. Any any yeah, team any team event uh, you can get the interest like we got in Labor Cup and and in 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 Davis Cup. You know where the people come together is yeah. awesome. What do you but think of Billie Jean? Together? I love the Hotman Cup. I Wait. mean, to me, that was one of the great yeah. things this year. Yeah. But what were they great. watching? What about they Billie Jean? They're watching Federer. They're watching doubles and Serena. Yeah, but they're watching doubles. They're watching. Yeah, but they're watching. Yeah, sure. Okay. But, I, but I think those both can. <laughs> Federer and Serena. That's what yeah. they're watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're not watching. Uh, who did uh, Benchich and Tiafo? We love both of them. They're yeah. great, yeah, yeah, yeah. great young talents. But yeah. nobody's watching. Well, them. you've got the two greatest players of all time on the court together. Yeah. We'd never had that playing against. But I do so think the awesome. team. Yeah, yes. my mother-in-law called me, who doesn't know to look about tennis. She said, "Is Roger Federer playing against Serena Williams?" And I was like, "It's a little more complicated than what you just said." But in essence, yes. yes. Right. That's what's happening. Well, what yeah. do you think of yeah. Billie Jean's idea? Because we spoke to Billy, and Billy said that college tennis should be like a team tennis format and have them all on one court and have it them going at it rather than her biggest problem is you've got eight courts going on how are you going to be yeah focused i'm on not one? i'm not opposed to that at all i think she's that, like yeah, it would be the yeah. third biggest sport in college if we did that well i'm i love her optimism but um, <laughs> <laughs> i don't think that's a she's bad had some idea crazy ideas yeah so. i know some of them are coming around yeah, you know, people are finally coming around look to her. it so yeah I think tennis. One of the great things about tennis is that men and women can play together. Yeah, I do too. You know, and com- can compete you know, on an equal playing field. So there's no other sport that really has that. I mean, golf, okay, but but golf. tennis. Is golf a sport, though, Patrick. No, uh, it's golf's a game. A game. It's, it's really hard game. Yes, incredibly. No, no, hard. no, difficult. But I'm glad yeah. we at least agree yeah. on that. Yeah. My, so my, finally, we agreed on something. Thirty-one friends. minutes in, we agree. Golf is we the agree. Best. All my golfing friends, they're like, you know, okay, it's not a sport. Until okay? they're running if towards John the ball. John Daly is playing golf. It's a game. Okay. Yeah. Let's just. But no, you got to be pretty, pretty darn talented. Yeah, it's it's. A bloody no, you got to be hard at darts too. But I'm just but, saying, it's yeah. not a sport; it's a game. Thank yeah. you. College tennis is is awesome. It's been through a lot of you yeah. know, changes. It continues to go through them. Uh, so I would look at that. Yeah. Well, I let me ask you a fun idea. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you maybe a less controversial question okay. than us our now profound rift over doubles. <laughs> um, well, I think we'll get through it in our relationship. Yeah, we'll, I think we we'll, will. We'll be fine. We'll evolve. Yeah. But yeah. um, let's talk about college tennis just for a little bit. Stanford Cardinal, Missouri Tiger. Right. What? Uh, Nothing. Nothing for she Renee. Was too good. She too was good. Too good. Yeah. yeah. Just straight to the pros. Yeah. Um, you're talking about how many, many players are not American. These right. are scholarships being awarded to kids. Right. Um, I, too, had a team that was 90% not American-born. I mean, right. in some ways, it was great. I right. you met have a friend in Bulgaria right. now, right. and I've visited. You know, on the other right. hand, you know, it does sort of speak to getting American interest, getting sort of, um, you know, where do you net out on that? What, what, 
has it's changed a, and how do we uh, fix yeah, it? Yeah, so maybe? this one's tough. I think that uh, you know the American way and the American spirit is to allow people from all backgrounds and yeah. countries right into this country, despite some of the current political environment we're in. But in yeah, general, it could be changing. yeah, in yeah. general, that's sort of been the American way. So if you're going to say, you know, we need to put a uh, put a cap on the amount of the number of scholarships per team, yeah. I think that would be probably a reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, b- you know, bargaining tool. Mm-hmm. I mean, a reasonable way to go. Yeah. Um, because I th- I do think that having you know an entire lineup of foreign players is you know it's, as an American it's hard to see. At the same time, you know you might have the orchestra band of you know and the violinists or might all be foreign and. Yeah. In, you know, in a, in a college orchestra mm-hmm. or something, or ballet, you know, ballet school. Less scholarships at stake, but yes. Yeah, so I think that uh, there's some merit to, to to looking at. Obviously, when I was at the USDA, I mean, it just got pounded. I was going to say, this must and have been I was like, well, there's issue. nothing the USDA can do about it. I mean, yeah. other mm-hmm. than put some pressure, <clears throat> excuse me, on the, on the NCAA, but the NCAA is running a multi- billion dollar company they could just cap it maybe have uh you know you know maybe three three uh per team something like that uh-huh. or, yeah. or or at least you have the quota is three americans on your team you know what i mean or yeah you something can reverse like the quota no I yeah i mean because it does it does we had a piece on it in the magazine a couple of a neutral i mean just sort of t- kind of talk through right. you know some of the some of the intricacies of having this conversation but i remember it very well thinking to myself well if i had not had any you know as a kid growing up mostly in america you know maybe i would have gotten to a better school but i shouldn't have do we know, you know? if other college uh, sports have that do they have quotas because i know that i've seen the numbers as other, you know, a good t- tennis is i think at the moment one of the highest the percentage of foreign players. Yeah, I was going to say I don't, I don't see a lot of baseball think, teams, football teams, no, basketball, basketball teams. you know. Yeah. But uh, j- imagine for a second, if you could, that um, <clears throat> you know, seventy percent of the Duke and North Carolina basketball teams were foreign. You know, yeah. Imagine that. Just so you know, like if it were soccer, yeah. for example, um, you know, and 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 Europe didn't have a professional system the way they have. So you're basically a professional soccer player, you know, at 12 yeah. or 13, you go to one of the clubs. Would March Madness still be the product it is? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's I mean, I think it I think it, I think it. it still would be popular because, you know, the NBA is getting more and more foreign players. Yeah. Um, but I think that uh, because you can still kind of go to the team yeah. part of it, you can still say, oh, you know, I'm still going to root for Stanford even if they've got a couple of foreign players on yeah. the team. I'm still rooting for Stanford. I'm not really right. rooting for the individuals on the team. But... Um, the other other sports, I don't think, uh, have the same kind of numbers that tennis does. Up, no. Some have them. Some are pretty close because I remember seeing some stats, and there's a few sports that have a, quite an influx of, of foreign. Probably years. fencing, if I had to guess. Fencing might be Gymnastics. one. <laughs> Swimming. Hey, I want I want to uh, ask you because um, you know we have you limited time because you know you got to be a dad today too. You got to go pick, pick up, up your daughter. Yeah. You got to come back in the city yep. do something for yep. ESPN. Um, what's your favorite memory, like tennis? Match. My me me personally that yeah, I you, played. Yeah, yeah, um, you did play, Patrick. I did play a few good matches. A few. Uh, you know, I I uh, probably the most be, believe it or not, uh, probably the most proud of a match that I lost, mm-hmm. um, which was to Boris Becker at the quarters of the U.S. Open because uh, you know I I had beaten him in a major in Australia before. Actually, I lost to him in the semis of the Australian, which was my best. Result. performance in, yeah. a, in a Grand Slam. But when I played him at the U.S. Open, um, I'd been working for <clears throat> a, a, a time with a new coach named Dickie Herbst, who was a, now a great buddy of mine years later. And uh, His last name is Herbst. Herbst. 
Oh, H- Herbst. Yeah, H E R B S T. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so anyway, he Renee's he, here for the highbrow. He 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 sort of helped me get like you know I was a fifty to seventy player kind of thing, and he, so he said you know he he inspired me and helped me become like a top thirty player, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe even arguably for a time playing even at a higher level. So I played Becker in the quarters of the Open, and uh, I was playing as you know as well as I could play. I thought, and I lost the first two sets. You know, it was like six four seven, you know, close, but yeah. I was playing really well. And then I remember sitting down in the change room in the beginning of Thursday said, and I said, what the, what the F? I'm not going to curse, <laughs> even though it's a podcast, okay? I said, what, I said I'm playing. I, I said, I might as well try to do what my coach has been telling me to do, which is, you know, play, play, play with a little more, play bigger. Uh-huh. You know, for me, I was a counterpuncher. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, play bigger, try to hit a little bigger. Try go to, for it. Yeah, go for it a little more. So I was like, screw it. I mean, what do I got to lose? I'm down yeah. two sets left. So I started going for it, and I win the third set. And, you know, uh, crowds going crazy. It's an afternoon to the night. You know, it was, a, for me, the best Atmosphere. experience because yeah. I was a local kid and I was finally, like, you know, having a good U.S. Open. And I ended up losing this four-set tie break. But I believe I had a set point or two to uh-huh. get it to a fifth, you know. And so I just remember saying, you know, that was <clears> – if I had maybe started the match like that, yeah. who knows, you know, even though Becker was playing at the top of his of game. Of course, yeah. I said, you know, maybe I could have won it. But at least I – at least I did it. So know, why didn't you listen to your coach then? I mean, come on. This is, well, I, this I did is listen. Un- it just took me a little while. Maybe yeah. I need him to come out in the changeover. Yeah. So you're playing well, but you're you know you're you're, you're still losing. Yeah. So don't don't that's be a backboard. Get, get the coaches out there. Yeah. Well, did I mean that's what's so great about tennis, right? Like we're all confronting our own mental interior at all times, usually by ourselves. Um, yeah. Did you take the, away from that match? Like, okay, I'm gonna go. I can find this place of aggression, or I can uh, find this you place know. Of I certainly more. tried. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't a nat- you know that natural of a player in that way. So, but uh, it it was you know just a great experience to be able to see that the work you know it paid off. And uh, you know, tennis, like you said, is tennis is tough because you 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 can play great and you just play someone that's just better. Yeah, you know, that's just physically better than you. Okay, worst moment. Um, like toughest loss. Toughest well, the, moment, obviously the loss of Connors was the toughest loss when I was up two sets and you know love three, love forty, but who remembers yeah. the details? I mean, yeah, we had um, a story about it. In our yeah, so yeah, so that was uh, you know the one that people remember, and I I remembered it was certainly a gutting loss. Uh, at the same time, I did learn from it. You know, I came back and won a lot of matches, and I was down two sets to love mm-hmm. in my career, um, which nobody knows about, but I know about. Yeah, well, that's you know, what matters, so that yeah. was. Uh, you know, people still come up to me and say, I was at that match and I was rooting for you. I said, but you were awfully quiet. You <laughs> <laughs> know, because I didn't hear anybody. You, you and the right. 10 other people. Yeah, yeah right. I didn't, <laughs> and I didn't my hear family. Anyone. Right. That yeah. was pretty oh much it. Oh, my God. Do you, what, do, did, did he say anything to you at the net when he beat you? Like, oh, sucker. You know, yeah, Jimmy gotcha was not. again. Yeah. No, actually, I got along well with Jimmy. Yeah. Actually, he and I were, you know, we used to practice together quite a bit. And yeah. I think he did that more to probably hit, piss off John. Who hit more spin? Um, well, he had a little more spin on the forehand, yeah. a little more slice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but he could drive through it a little better than me. But, that's interesting. Uh, so he had a more antagonistic relationship with your brother. Than oh, you. yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, I think he, that's pretty uh, yeah. well documented. I think he liked to practice with me because it would maybe piss John off. Maybe, yeah. You know, yeah, so it was another <laughs> way to get under his skin. But, yeah. uh, but you know, he had a, my game was more similar to Jimmy's game than it was to my brother's game. Yeah. You know, nobody could play like John. So my game was, you know, a... a a, a very poor man's version of the way Jimmy played. You know, I, try to take it early, better backhand. Yes. Um, but you guys were rally players. Yeah, rally players. Big serves. Yeah. yeah, big, huge serves, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it was always good for me to, to practice with him. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting because, I mean, pretty universally, to this day, people, you know, 
Just like, yes. oh, you know, everyone's well, bygones, bygones. And then it's like, well, Jimmy Connors is still out there, like, retting old wrongs oh, and yeah. t- t- turning the screws. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, I miss those personalities. I mean, what do you, th- I mean, if Nick Kyrgios was playing back then. Well, if Nick Kyrgios was playing back then, he, I don't think he'd get away with a lot of the stuff he gets away with because those guys wouldn't put up with it. I mean, you know, in a way, well, it probably, would they go up to him? In, in, in a way, it probably would have been better for him yeah. because he'd probably have to get his act together and 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 buckle down, as they say in yeah. your country, Rene. Yeah. You know, buckle <laughs> down. But uh, in fact, I for some reason this morning, before I came, I had I turned on some uh, Australian. Uh, oh, oh, and they were just blasting it. Oh, it was, they, it, it was they, this woman was her. Oh, she was horrendous. She was saying, you know, oh, because the Greeks uh, coddle their kids, and I'm like, what? Can you say this on television? Like, she was actually said it was like a national show. Mate, Wait, it, what are we talking about? We're, about curios. It was Australian like talk show. Yeah, it's brutal. They're and they brutal. were they were brutalizing curios uh-huh. for his behavior. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. You don't have a lot of PC in Australia. Yeah, no, I, I've seen you know, that. Yeah. I mean, but anyway, especially on the sports shows. But I, I, I happen rough. to like Nick Kyrgios as a person, you know, having Me spent too. some time with him Me in too. David in Labor Cup. And, you know, he, 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 he took up the wrong sport because he's really a team guy. Yeah. And, basketball uh, would have been a great basketball. For him, yeah. uh, well, you say that, but oh, my God, is he a great tennis player? He could Holy be shit. a great tennis player. He's not a great tennis player yeah. because he doesn't have the, all the, the whole package. Yeah. So he's got a lot of great skill. And he has a lot of physical ability, but he is not a great tennis player. Compare him a little bit, because uh, I mean, obviously, no one knows John like you. But I mean, I mean, John was obviously so famously remembered for his, you know, outbursts on the court too. But he was such a great player. Compare those two a little bit. Like, uh, obviously, you know, the John's results were incredible from the age of seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. I mean, he was winning slams. Like, is there any comparison? Just because they're s- they were both so volatile on the court. Um, sometimes. That's uh, to me that would be where it would stop. Yeah. Because when you look at the competitor that uh, John yeah. was and still is, in fact, at sixty. Yeah. You know, I played with him the other day. He's pissed if he loses. You know, a baseline game. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But John <laughs> had a, a a way of of using his volatility to his advantage. You know, people thought he used it to the disadvantage of his opponent, which you know happened, I think, a few times. But generally, he did it. Because he was pissed at himself and he wanted to play better. Yeah, you know, Kyrgios kind of does it as a as a way out. Yeah, you know, to get out of the situation and and you know whatever you could analyze, you know, psychoanalyze why he does it. At the end of the day, it is what it is. You it, know, he does. What that's, that's what the it pattern, is. Yeah, yeah. And John was um, in addition to they b- actually they both have great tennis under IQs. Yeah. You know, Kyrgios understands the game extremely well. But he doesn't. He's extremely lazy when it comes to how he when he gets to the net. You know, he stands straight up, and he, you know, he doesn't use his legs. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so he just, you know, John. If you look at the way he played and his shot selection, et cetera, you know, was impeccable. Yeah, he you know. hated, and I, this is what I say about great players. <clears throat> he hated losing more than he loved winning. I think you've got to hate losing more than you love. Yeah, because I mean, everybody I, loves to win. No, I I would agree with that, and but I think also he just had a very natural competitive side, and uh, he also liked to put on a show um, in a way that was you know Kyrgios puts on a show just because he doesn't maybe he doesn't think the tennis is enough mm. for some no, reason. I get, I think it's similar to what you were saying. I mean, again, it's easy to yeah. say, well, but I think it, he does it because it's a way out. Because it's a way of making it not about the tennis, which is, I think, some something. Yeah, is, is I mean, I think if he, if, I think now. if he tried his ass off all the time, yeah. and he, then he did 
uh, between the legs and some of that stuff, like everybody would really love it. Yeah. You know, be into it. I know. You can the see how it is, could yeah, be so could good be for great, tennis. But the problem is he just doesn't know how to balance it. Yeah. yeah. If there were best of three at Grand Slams, do you think he would contend, really contend? No, I don't. Absolutely You not. think this would be no matter what no the way. situation is? No chance. No way. Because he's just not, he's not, he's not mentally strong enough. It's just yeah. not t- so physical get is seven part- matches. Yeah. yeah, physical is one part of it for sure. Yeah. And if it were lightning fast indoors or grass every tournament, mm. then he would have a he would have a shot. Mm. But um, you think the problem it would persist? Kind absolutely. Of no matter where it was. Absolutely. I mean, he knows he can't hang for five sets. I mean, so that that's like a gimme. So that's yeah. too easy to say he's not going to do it. But I still don't believe in a physical two out of three set match against those top guys that he could handle it. Yeah. Um, let's go, just because we only have one or two questions left, but I want to get to, you know, turning all of your lifetime ex- of experience, your ideas, into now the next generation for yourself. You have kids. You mentioned your daughter plays. What she's trying to say, are you a nightmare tennis parent? Are uh, you, you a know, nightmare tennis parent? Probably my daughter would say so, but are no, I, I don't think so. No, I'm pretty... You're I'm not pretty, breaking a clipboard over no, 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 I'm pretty calm. Have you met yeah, Patrick? Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm pretty. I, I, you know, it's no. He is it, not John. It, it is hard sometimes to watch, um, but at the same time, uh, it's nice to watch them. You know, want to do something. That's yeah. number one. So my other daughters are into dance and ballet, and they love it. You know, so as long as they're doing something they love. If you know, my dad said to me years ago, if you don't want to. You know, I'll still love you tomorrow if you decide not to yep. play tennis. I'm not sure if I really believe that, but <laughs> with my dad, but but that's the, I mean that is the truth. I mean yeah. that's I think that's the way you have to look at it. So as long as she wants to do it and she's enjoying it, um, I think what I've realized through this process with her and and even working at the academy is how freaking hard it is to get good at tennis. Yeah, that's what I really realized, and I realized that um, it's uh, you know the amount of time and repetitions that it takes. And for me, yeah. And for me, it was mostly hitting against a wall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and that sort of brings me back to those memories. And then I look at not just my daughter. Never beat. Yeah. But then I look at I look at these kids and say, how could they miss that shot? Like, that's such an easy shot, like a short ball high to the (laughs) forehand. I'm like, actually, that's not an easy shot. Like they never they've never done that because they're just sitting at the baseline hitting the same forehand. So that's a whole different shot. And do you think it's harder to get good at tennis than it was when you were a kid? Because of no, the I don't think it's harder, but I think that it's uh, no. I think it's uh, it's too one dimensional now. It's I think that is I agree with that. I think that because the way the, our society is set up, everybody is programmed. So yeah. mm-hmm. you know, even at our academy, it's like you come in for your two hours, you get your one hour lesson. You know, you got to get to the your, your tutor, you got to get to your dance class, you got to get to your homework, mm-hmm. and so when you know, I think. In our day, you know, I would just go to the club and hang around the club. Yeah, and that's I'd, I'd go, I'd find somebody to play Your with. Your day was relatively unstructured. Exactly. Yeah. And I'd go, no, my parents weren't worried about me. They weren't, we got to go pick up Patrick. You know, they'd yeah, call yeah. the neighbors, they send him home. I was yeah. on my tricycle. Uh, me too. On my bike. <laughs> hitting on the yeah. wall. Well, I didn't have yeah. a tricycle. For hours. That young. So no, I, I think, I think course, that's, yeah. you know, I think the whole society has changed. So yeah. mm-hmm. um, that sort of, f- that free time, that creativity time, that alone time is, is harder to find. We yeah. got two things I want to get across before we have to let you leave and go and pick up your kids. Thank you. But, um, one thing, first of all, I want to put this on the record. Patrick is the greatest dad. Like, literally, I work with him at ESPN, and we sit around <laughs> a lot. We sit around a lot waiting for matches to end, and he takes every opportunity to FaceTime his My girls. My girls are the best. That's and yeah, when I tell you he becomes like... Girls a, rule. He becomes know? the cutest dude. And he doesn't care who's around. He's like, hey, what do you call your daughters? Uh, well, they all go by their nicknames, V, Juju, and Dai Dai. Yeah, he's like, hey, Dai Dai. <laughs> hey, Juju. I mean, it's amazing. Like, And he doesn't care who's listening or no, what's around. He's just, not. he's the greatest dad. No. Um, but 
I watched an HBO Real Sports the other day. I don't know if you saw it about Norway. And the, they had this incredible run at the Winter Olympics, right? They won mm-hmm. more Olympic I didn't medals say it, but interesting. Than, yeah. I mean, right. than ever in Winter Olympics. Right. And one of the things that they stress in Norway, and you know how they are, they're like, oh, we don't do that. You know, <laughs> literally from six or seven <laughs> till 12, right. they don't rank, they don't time, they don't do anything yeah. as, mm. that would make the kids feel lesser or more than. Mm. Mm-hmm. So they're it's like, just no, about the we just want them the, out there playing or yeah. skiing. And, they, or, and they're probably doing it by themselves and, and they're, cr- creating yeah. on and their they own. Get yeah. to to, right. If they want to slide down the skis backwards, right. they're, they're, they're allowed yeah. to do that. They're basically having yeah. fun from 6 to 12. So there's no ranking. He says, well, but, you know, do you put a who's fussy? He goes, no, it's not allowed. It's literally a mm. government mandate wow. that you're not allowed to rank kids in sports up yeah. until 12. I think that's lovely. It's amazing. And then look look at, I mean, Norway's the size of Manhattan. Right. And it's like they're producing these world champions. Weather's here. good. And, but, you know, for, but, for but the, the, the right, greatest exactly. women's soccer right. player in the world is from Norway. Yeah. Right. You know, so it's not like they're just winter sports. Yeah. These are great and I, came, I came across an article recently. But isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is. Well, it's, I hope it ties into that, which is uh, from Roger Federer's mom. And mm-hmm. apparently when they used to go and play, you know, before he went away to sort of train at 13, you know, she used to take him on the court. And all he would do was just like mess around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but he would do all these different shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so he would be cr- he would be creative. He would just which be is, having fun. I played community tennis. The you hallmark know? of his game. Yeah, also, I mean, well, which so is now, creating. yeah, creating and also you know being able to maneuver the racket and yeah. control the ball. And you know, once he figured out um, how to control his game and his talent, you know, that's when he when he became the greatest player ever. But uh, again, it's that abil- that 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 Joy. freedom. Yeah. You know, the freedom to go out yeah. and enjoy the game. Uh, really have the you know that's why he's still playing at yeah. his level because he loves it. He I want loves that to play. for my kid if Absolutely. he ever be- becomes yeah. good, a karate champion. My kid, just follow Kate. I don't know. Oh, yeah. okay. I don't think he's got a Instagram lot of potential story. to be honest as a okay. professional athlete. But I, do, I want him to love it you because kick, that's you where kick I some butt, don't you, Kate? Thank you yeah. for <laughs> noticing, Patrick. I feel <laughs> very seen. Anyway, well, um, really appreciate you guys having me. Patrick, thank you. you thank know? you for thank your you so spirited much. and We don't get, discussion. unfortunately, yeah. um, for the Rack Magazine podcast, we often have to do it on the road uh, right. because we're traveling This is nice. I like your gigs um, here. But yeah. it you. is nice to have our local New Yorkers come into yep. the studio. And you are I used to live right near here. I used Did to live you? on Lafayette Street. Yeah, so and then the his wife was not – his wife, of course, Melissa Arrigo, who's an amazing Broadway singer and – She's Performer. dealing. She's dealing with the burbs, but she's, she has she's, to go yeah. to the burbs in Bronxville. But, yeah, but she's doing well there. We're doing good. Well, listen, Patrick yeah. McEnroe, it's been a pleasure. Thank My you for pleasure. coming, Thank and come you. back anytime. I appreciate. We'll it. find anytime. more so things Thank to you, disagree ladies. about. Yep. Yes, thanks, P. Back. See you at here. Wimbledon. You got it. All right. And that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson. Music by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. Thanks to Tim Ruggieri and the team at ACAST. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.